Hello, kindred spirits, and welcome to Modcast, the podcast of the L.M. Montgomery Institute, broadcasting from the beautiful campus of the University of Prince Edward Island. We're so glad you've tuned in. This is Modcast Season 1, Episode 5. I'm your host, Dr. Brenton Dickerson. In our quest to discover innovative scholarship about the life and works of Lucy Ma Montgomery and to join imaginative readers throughout the world, we welcome to the microphone our special guest, Dr. Andrea McKenzie. Andrea McKenzie is an associate professor at York University and this year's director of the Writing Center. She co-edited Ellen Montgomery and War with Jane Ledwell and actually has quite a nice essay within that piece, plus co-edited an edition of Rilla of Ingleside with Ben Lefebvre, besides authoring multiple book chapters about Montgomery's works. She was visiting scholar with the Ella Montgomery Institute several years ago and co-chaired two of the biennial conferences. When COVID-19 caused lockdowns, she founded the Rilla of Ingleside Readathon with Ben Lefebvre. Andrea also specializes in First World War narratives with a specialty in Canadian nurses' letters and diaries. And she also works with visual narratives, such as photograph albums and book covers. Just to add a spanner to the works, she is a specialist in writing in the disciplines and is currently working with the engineering faculty to improve students' writing in their courses. Andrea, welcome to the Modcast. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. And a big hello to all those kindred spirits out there. <laughs> Great. Now, as, as Modcast listeners are avid readers, and so we like to talk about the books that are on our bedside tables and sometimes next to our living room chairs. Right now, I'm reading the Anne of Green Gables manuscript that was prepared by Carolyn Strom Collins. And, and it's it takes a little longer to read, but it's really helping me read the text in a new way, kind of a close way, and keeps making me go back to what was published to see what I remember and whether I've misremembered some things. And so, Andrea, what are you reading these days? Oh, well, I have to say the stack of books around my apartment and on my balcony right now is ever-changing. <laughs> um, the readathon right now is going through Jane of Lantern Hill. So I have three different copies spaced out through my apartment. Uh, I also had a heap of First World War books that I was dipping into during the Rilla readathon. Apart from that... Bernice Thurman Hunter's Bookie Trilogy. Uh, she is a Canadian author who actually met L.M. Montgomery for tea back in the 1930s when L.M. Montgomery was living in Toronto. Wow. Uh, Bernice Thurman Hunter was a teenager at the time, and she aspired to become a writer. Now, that didn't happen until, she, oh, I think it was the 1980s when she started publishing the bookie th series. Wow. So I find that fascinating because it's about a child's perspective of life in Toronto during the Depression era. Other than that, I have several cookbooks. I have to <laughs> confess that I read cookbooks as a recreation. <laughs> and because right now I'm I'm researching depression food, I actually have Montgomery's Aunt Maud's recipe book. Oh, it's wow. part of my bedtime reading because I look through her recipes for anything that might apply to the depression. And I have the latest edition of Catherine Parr Trail's uh, A Female Immigrant's Guide. She was one of the early settlers in Canada in the 1830s. 
And that's taking me back into more historical research. I don't know if readers or listeners would find this helpful or not. The reason I was looking at her book last night is because I was researching cranberry production and picking on Prince Edward Island. Well, interesting. I'm actually just at the in reading through the journals. I'm I read mm -hmm. two or three pages a day, four pages a day, and I'm at the point where Aunt Annie dies, and Montgomery goes back to Park Corner, and they have to make a feast for the funeral folk in Kensington, I think, mm -hmm. and uh, and so she's using Aunt Annie's recipe book in order to to make to make the feast for her funeral so so it's kind of a a warm a nice spot to read in so yeah yeah no that's a, that's an interesting and of course you this is part of how you read i think is and and the way you do scholarship is looking at not just kind of the fiction that's created or the journals but also looking at these material aspects you know uh, little bits of history that are tucked in and behind the books that we read isn't is that a fair comment for how you work or yes i think so hmm. i have to say that montgomery has so much in her journals, but also in her fiction. There's a lot of history in her fiction. And that has me curious about aspects like cranberrying, for example, which people did do in the 1930s, went off and picked cranberries. Well, you read about people picking blueberries and raspberries, but that's the only occurrence I've ever found in a novel from that time of cranberrying. Wow. Yeah, I also find things like um, cookbooks, for example, they tell you so much about character, about the local community, about the foods available, and about the culture of the, of the time. So what did she serve to the newlywed couple who came to tea? So it mm. tells us much more about people's lives at the time, and that leads us to make more connections and go off and do research in what, what occasionally seem like odd aspects or distracting aspects that actually turn out to be quite important. Mm, yeah, and, and how did you first encounter Montgomery's works yourself? Well, I happen to be a bookworm who grew up in Gray County, Ontario, which is rural Southwestern Ontario. I grew up in a village of 500 people and my parents had books all over the house. So this was my favorite recreation, especially in the wintertime. Unfortunately, I kept on running out of books to read despite this huge collection my parents had. So I used our equally tiny local library three times a week. That was all it was open, three days a week. And I eventually reached the M's in the adult section I found Montgomery's works, and I do recall pulling out Anne of Green Gables because I'd vaguely heard the title. It's just unfortunate that to pick my library books, I would flip to the first page and I would read the first page. Well, I opened Anne of Green Gables and I got that long sentence uh, that the first page introduces us to Mrs. Rachel Lind, I believe. And as a 10 or 12 year old, I just didn't find that very interesting. So I distinctly recall going back to the library no less than three times and opening that book. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately for me, I finally decided to flip a chapter 
right <laughs> uh, or two and opened the book just let it fall open to a page and i came across ann and matthew's trip back home in the buggy and mm. that fascinated me so so much that i took the book out of the library that got me started and i have not stopped since i hunted for those books all over the place it's such a writer's risk when you have such a dynamic character like Anne to then, you know, start with Mrs. Rachel Lind, who sits at the crossroads of all knowledge of a little quaint village. Like, why, why would we want that? Right. And and yet it for when you reread the book, of course, it's part of the excitement of, you, you know, you, you're waiting for Matthew to arrive at the train station. Right. That's part of the experience. But you're right. It, it I can see how some readers just may never have gotten there because they didn't get past chapter one or two. Right. Yes. And that's a real shame. Uh, if I had read the book as an adult, I think I would have gotten past those first few pages yeah. because now I have enough experience to give any book four or five chapters before I'll <laughs> decide to read the rest. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Or, we, have a, we have a seven minute, seven page rule kind of, yeah. but it doesn't always work. Seven pages is not always enough. Uh, and with TV, seven minutes is not always enough to know if you got a groaner. But you, so you talk about, um, you talk about uh, finding and hunting down her her books. Uh, and so that's always kind of something nice. You wrote something. Can I just read this little piece that uh, you wrote uh, at one point? It, it was, when I was broke, <laughs> and I, I think some people are going to be able to like feel this too. When I was broke, I sold other less loved books to afford Montgomery. She was my solace and my shield, my escape when the joys of life fled, and the trials and traumas became seemingly too much to bear. That's a really, really nice line, Andrea. Um, how is it, what what have you done? So that's the solace, I think, growing up you've talked about for Montgomery. What about now? Is there something that uh, that you have done to, to gain that solace to Montgomery in difficult times today? Yes, I would have to say that First thing I did when lockdown hit was reread Rilla of Ingleside. Hmm. And it was that particular book that drew me. Um, I would have to explain that in early March, my partner was up to visit. We had been to Italy shortly before that. And we had seen in the Italian news what was happening in Italy. We were fortunate enough to be able to come back to Canada and we did not have coronavirus at the time, but we knew the pandemic was coming or at least an epidemic. He lives in New York City and he returned to New York City. Mm. So when lockdown occurred in Canada and then in New York, we were shut down on opposite sides of the border and we were both on our own. So I turned to Rilla because I think Montgomery through Rilla shows us how to survive crisis. She has many lessons in that book, whether you agree or disagree with the war itself. She, she shows us how to regain courage, how to mature, how to occupy ourselves with things that can help others. Uh, through crisis. This was a true crisis, I think, for many of us, if not all of us. 
And that's why I returned to the book at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the hunting of news, the, the, you know, watching and waiting for something to happen, the, the inability to control like events that are, you know, events that are just way beyond our control. Yeah. Now, Rilla, I, I actually also read Rilla. Um, I didn't keep up precisely um, with the, the readathon, but I, I did re read Rilla at that time with that same thought in mind, which was, you know, how relevant and poignant this at-home view is from over a hundred years ago. Yes. Uh, yeah. It it is true. There are so many parallels, and it was because of that, and because of my own response, that. Of course, I think many of us were trying to find something that we could do hmm. during this time. Well, I'm not equipped to search for a virus, nor can I sew masks. I'm, I'm not a good sewer. It seemed that there was nothing I could do until I thought if the book affected me like this, perhaps we could create a community to read Rilla of Ingleside. And so that's when I called up my friend and colleague, Ben, and said, here's what I would like to do. Start a readathon, a participatory one, as participatory as possible. Start a readathon on Facebook. I don't know that that many people would be interested, but would you like to try it? <laughs> and he said he could and we would. And it was really quite astonishing. I came up with the idea. I think lockdown started around March 17th or so, and I called them a week later. We put the announcement out on Saturday, March 28th, I believe, mm. uh, that the readathon would start on Monday. We expected maybe 25, 50 people. We had our 25 or 50 within two hours. And wow. by Monday morning, when we launched, uh, I believe we had over 100 and we're moving towards 150. So wow. we were we were quite astonished and, and actually in awe about how popular this idea was. And I really think it's because Montgomery's works do create community in good times. And Rilla of Ingleside is a book that people were drawn to because of the times we were going through. Hmm. Wow. Now I think I think you really kind of connected with something there that's powerful for for people and for readers. And um, and I think too, like so so for future listeners, we're recording this in August 2020. So things have opened up a little bit, but borders are still closed, we're still social distancing, and we don't really have an end date in sight. Who knows? Somebody might be listening to this in 20 years. And and so people might forget that we're still trying to find ways to connect meaningfully uh, and in healthy ways. So what what did you so you did this Rilla readathon on Facebook, and then did you just finish it off because the book only has so many chapters or what did you do when the, when Rilla was finished? Well, Rilla lasted us. We had planned it for the three months of lockdown. We figured given the experiences in China with their lockdown that our lockdown would last probably three months. Mm -hmm. And so we went through Rilla in three months, but then we discussed, do we just end this? Because the pandemic is not over. Uh, as we know now, even as I speak, the people in Melbourne, Australia, and we do have members there, they're locked down for an indefinite time. So instead of shutting it down, 
we decided to continue. And the book we chose for the summer that's like no other summary with summer within memory was Jane of Lantern Hill. Right. Yeah. So that we could race through the Toronto chapters, which we did in a week and spend a leisurely summer on Prince Edward Island with all the joys of the landscapes and finding identity. Yeah. That's such a nice coastal book too, right? In 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 that uh in that way. Well done. Good stuff. And and uh so I know I know that I mean you're running this readathon and you're doing lots of research projects and you have your writing center and I, I presume that you still teach and everything else too. So I'm I know that you can't always do things, but it seems to me that the engaged response to the readathon is is sort of worth writing about. Have you thought of putting something like that together? As a matter of fact, not just me. Uh, I put it a call to members because the readathon is so participatory. Lots of people comment. Uh, we have chapter readers, so it's mm. not just a case of Ben and I doing everything. It mm. really is a case of different members record a chapter, and we put up three chapters a week with different readers. People comment. Some people post their own things. So it seemed to me that this this was not an instance where I should be writing all by myself as sole author about the readathon. So what I did was I put out a call to members and asked if anyone would like to contribute to an interactive collaborative piece. Mm. Nice. And 11 or 12 of them did. So we have a 12 or 13 members including myself um, doing a collaborative piece where my piece sets up the context and the founding and traces my own patterns and ways of thinking through the first Rilla readathon. Other members contribute how it impacted them, their stories about how they found escape through the readathon, um, many different perspectives. So it is as collaborative as we could make it. Mm. It's also illustrated yeah good with photographs and we have a couple of videos in there just for fun oh nice and and so what's the how does that get published like what's the final form for that sort of thing what i'm really hoping for is uh something like a website mm -hmm. and i'm really hoping for a graphic overlay i'm a very visual person so what I would really like, my ideal dream would be part of the cover of the original edition of Rilla of Ingleside, and then a circle of members' names and photographs mm. so that you can click on any member's name and there is no hierarchy. And you click through to see their, what they wrote. You can enlarge their pictures for one or two members. There's a little photo gallery. Uh, one or two included videos because they were chapter readers or members of their family were. So that's my ideal way of looking at this is I'm trying to emulate in the form the readathon itself. Mm, nice. And and for, for listeners, you can check out the show notes uh, for the Facebook readathon page. And, and, you know, that's one of the things about Facebook is things are there. It's live and in time, but it's also historical. So, okay, well, let's, let's actually switch things up a little bit. Are you ready for a flash round? 
These are mm -hmm. questions uh, from Captain Jim's parlor, I would say. Are you, so Andrea doesn't know any of the questions. She hasn't heard any of them before uh, and hasn't seen them. Uh, and you can't, you can't think about the answer. You have to answer as quickly as you can. Are you okay? Uh, I will try it and we'll just have to see what happens. Excellent. Beautiful. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Coffee or tea? Tea. Raspberry cordial or red currant wine? Red currant wine. <laughs> Octobers or Aprils? Octobers. You're with Anne on that one, I think. So think think outside the box. What non-traditional pet would you have if you had one? A squirrel. Okay, excellent. Good. So choose one of these. A day at the beach, a walk in the woods, an afternoon in an archive. An afternoon in an archive. Sorry, but a day at the beach would be second, or a walk in the woods would be wonderful if there are no mosquitoes. There you go. Well, that doesn't exist in Prince Edward Island. So uh, I was recently asked what Disney princess I was, I was, and that was a little hard for me to answer. But we can think about it in this way. Uh, what Montgomery heroine are you? Uh, whatever I happen to be reading at the time, except Pat. There, except for Pat. Ah, oh, poor Pat. And uh, and if you were to be a superhero, what would it be? Um, really good question, because I don't know that many. I would be whatever Benedict Cumberbatch is at the moment. <laughs> He's just far too cool for reality. It just, yeah, it just I know. blows my mind, blows yeah. my mind. And now, the other you... one would have to be Judy Dench playing M in the Bond films, right? Yeah. I would love to be Judy Dench. Yeah, although... And Judy Dench and most anything is pretty good. Yes. The uh, if you were to take a character from fiction for tea, high tea, who would you like to host? Oh my goodness, uh, I would like to have the Blythe family for tea, and that includes Susan, <laughs> also Mary Vance, Miss Cornelia, and Irene Howard, just so I could do a little, you know. <laughs> response to what she says yeah so a bit of a really generation i suppose with the with the blies are quoted we kind of get that tea time those little vignettes between the the poems and the stories right are kind of like their living room times or, or sitting room times with the blies right yes i find those fascinating yeah. uh, especially because montgomery takes them right from the first world war all the way up to the mm -hmm. second world war yeah so yeah. yeah, 20 years, 25 years of continuity. Now, um, it, it could take a little bit longer for this, and it's really just about Montgomery Studies more generally. But if you had a large grant for Montgomery Studies to give mm. away to somebody else, what would you want to see it used for? To give away to somebody else. So I can't keep it. I know. Myself. I want the grant. You want the grant. But no, to somebody else, not in this podcast. Um. Oh, my goodness. Um, that's a really difficult question because there are so many aspects and angles. Um, if I were to give it away to someone else, one of the first things I would like to do is um, fund a central Montgomery archive that would collect together all of the various pieces from Scotland, from across Canada, from even fan letters in Australia mm -hmm. and digitize them so that we can all see them. 
Mm, that's a mammoth, mammoth piece. Well done. Okay. Let's slide back into this and kind of just peek forward just a little bit. So moving beyond Rilla, uh, I don't know if we ever go totally beyond Rilla, but moving beyond Rilla Vingle's side, are you working on any Montgomery research pieces, anything related to Prince Edward Island in the, in the months to come? Uh, yes, there are actually two pieces. One is Montgomery related and the other is Georgina Pope related. Hmm. Um, the article that I need to work on over the next several weeks is early portrayals of the artist in the story girl and the golden road. Oh, wow. I chose this question because when I looked through the research, all the articles that have been written, I really found those two books under researched and yet they, they are fascinating when you think about it. Because in the story girl, we have the portrait of the story girl herself as an artist and storyteller. But we also have Beverly, the writer narrator. And in The Golden Road, Montgomery gives us a very humorous and fascinating example, not just of how to write, but also how not to write through the family magazine that the children put together, the monthly yeah. newspaper. <laughs> and we also have all kinds of layers of narration. So we have a male narrator writing down his account of the children together. So we have male narrator who's actually narrating the story girl's stories. And then within the Golden Road, we have the story girl narrating the awkward man's love story. So there are levels of narration here, and there are many different kinds of artists included in those two books, including an actual painter. But it's the writers and the oral storytellers and those traditions that fascinate me about those two books. Yeah, brilliant. I think I think you're totally right. That whole kind of narrative level, uh, all that sort of stuff. And of course, Sarah, the, the story girl herself, is such a pictorial... Mm -hmm. I mean, you would think, well, she writes stories, but it's actually storytelling as an embodied yes. exercise. And um, I think even like the way that beauty is said to kind of come out of her in voice and face mm -hmm. when she's speaking. Yeah, kind of a, a an entrancing um, kind of a moment. Yeah, no, that's a, I think you've you've got something there. Now, now you also mentioned Georgina Pope, who's really kind of one of Prince Edward Island's great you know, uh, daughters abroad, I guess, in in history, though not everybody would know who she is. Can you just, just super briefly tell us who she is and then what you're working on with her? Georgina Pope grew up on Prince Edward Island. She was the daughter of well-off parents. And unusually, she went to train as a nurse. She trained in the States. She came back to Canada. And she was one of the first Canadian nurses to go overseas as a military nurse. So she went to the South African War. She was in charge of the contingent of eight of the first Canadian nurses to go. She went twice. She came back. She was instrumental in military nurses being accepted as part of the Canadian Army. And she became the first matron in chief of the Canadian Army Medical Corps nurses. She was also the first Canadian to receive the Royal Red Cross. And her statue stands in Ottawa as one of the 14 valiants near the war memorial. Wow. Wow, that's 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 great. She's uh, certainly one of our figures. Um, and I, and I, it's an amazing period with these Victorian and Georgian nurses 
who didn't just do incredibly difficult things, but contributed as administrators, researchers, community formers. It's really quite a quite a story. Now, what is it that you're going to do with Georgina Pope's life? Well, there's a Montgomery connection in this story as well. <laughs> I was at a, one of the conferences on Prince Edward Island, and of course, I go to the Robertson Library, and I know Simon Lloyd in the library. He yeah. knows of my interest in military nurses' war history. And he pointed me towards Georgina Fane Pope's photograph album, which is held in the archives at the library. So one of my interests, of course, is nurses' visual war stories. Her photograph album is absolutely fascinating for the narrative that it tells about the war. Her album is one of the first Canadian nurses albums that we still have, and it is one of the only ones that I could find globally about the South African War. So I have presented uh, my thoughts and my research about that photograph album at a couple of conferences now. In fact, that's the reason that my partner and I were in Italy. It is received it was received in italy with um again fascination because it is so rare and because of her storytelling abilities through photographs wow i i would also point out that if anyone is interested in learning more about georgina pope who is certainly worthy of of um attention Catherine Dewar, uh, Prince Edward Island author, has written a book called Called to Serve, Georgina Pope, Canadian Military Nursing Heroine. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, I'm glad that people have a resource for that as they await for your pictorial album. But I think that's really kind of a fa fascinating connection, of course, critical to the background. And, and part of what I think makes your research come alive is this ability to make those those connections. So, wow, that's great. Well, thank you, Andrea, for meeting with us, for uh, letting us interview here on the Modcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure for me as well. And uh, I will listen with fascination. <laughs> Good stuff. Now, as always, you can check out the work of the L.M. Montgomery Institute at lmmontgomery.ca, including narrative features, interactive bits, guest blogs, news about conferences and calls for papers, the newest release of the Journal of the Ellen Montgomery Studies, and links to digital resources like the beautiful online repository, Kindred Spaces. And if you enjoyed the Modcast and would like to help others enjoy it as well, please share on social media and give us a rating. It really helps spread the news about Modcast and the Institute's work and helps get the word out about cutting edge research and new initiatives. I'm your host, Brenton Dickison, and I'm here with technical director, Christy McKinney. Until next time, remember that the body grows slowly and steadily, but the soul grows by leaps and bounds. It may come to its full stature in an hour. From that night, Rilla Bly's soul was the soul of a woman in its capacity for suffering, for strength, for endurance. Farewell. Thank you.